Hello, and welcome to the podcast of Emmanuel Assemblies of God in Knoxville, Tennessee. We're so glad you've taken the time to listen. If you're ever in our area, we invite you to join us for one of our worship services. For times and locations, please visit at EmmanuelAG.com. Excited about what God's doing, amen? Has God been good to you? Hey, you know, we've come through a lot this year. A lot of people have been uh, attacked different ways. You know, I feel it. I feel it. I feel it. But I'm telling you what, my Redeemer lives. I'm going to keep walking. I'm going to keep pushing forward, and we're going to come out the other side. Amen? You know we are. What's to say about walking through the valley of the shadow of death? Walk through the valley of the shadow of death, right? You don't stop and, you know, camp there necessarily. You keep walking. You keep walking. Um, I, I remember, um, as jo- Josh is back there, I think, I'm going to embarrass myself talking about airplanes, so I'll try not to be ignorant, But because uh, I learned how to fly airplanes when I was, you know, a teenager. I started taking flying lessons, and, uh, you know, a lot of times when you lose sight of the ground, you know, we flew the little ones, so we flew visually, right? You know, our instruments were limited, but, you know, we learned how to look out and see the horizon and different things, right? But whenever you would fly into a cloud and you would lose sight of the ground, um, your your senses kind of mislead you. You don't really know how you're oriented. And if you go by your feelings at that point, you can actually put the airplane into a spiral and you, that you can't recover from. So we would have to learn whenever we would fly into a cloud, they would put a hood on us where we couldn't see out the window and we would have to trust those instruments. We had to fly by the, not by how I feel, but by what those instruments say. See what I'm saying? Because if, if, if I go by how I feel, I'm going to try to correct it and I'm going to correct it more and I'm going to end up in a very bad situation that I possibly can't recover from. But if I trust those instruments because they're not lying to me, they're, tell, they're telling me the truth in this situation. Whenever you're going through something and you lose the sight of the horizon, this is what you have to go by because this is what's telling you truth at that moment. There's a thousand things coming at your senses telling you that that's not how you that's not how it really is. But I'm telling you, you've got to learn how to trust those instruments. You've got to learn how to trust that word. That's the only thing that will take you through to the other side. So I'm ready to trust the word today. Are you? Praise God. So praise God. Love Mission Sunday. What an opportunity just to share what God's doing all over the world, including Silva, North Carolina. I love that town. This is a pretty little town. Um, for the last couple of months, starting the year off, we've been speaking on the spirit of Pentecost. How many of you guys have been blessed by that, that series? We preached on um, the first week what they believed, you know, the, the four core doctrines, Jesus the Savior, the healer, the baptizer, and the soon coming king. Amen. And But the important thing that I see in those four doctrines is this, that my Redeemer lives. This is a continuing, ongoing ministry of Jesus in the earth today. He's not just, you know, he didn't go up and sitting at the right hand of the Father and just like waiting to see what happens, right? He didn't just, you know, tell a few guys what to do and then take off and wait for us to do it. No, he is actively present, presently participating in what's going on in the world today through his church, especially but also don't think that he's limited. I mean, he speaks to leaders of nations and all kinds of things, doesn't he? He has a way of manipulating things to bring about what he wants to happen on the earth. And so he's bringing about what he wants to happen on earth. I was talking to um, somebody a couple of days ago, and we were just looking at, just briefly talking about the history of the church. And you know, the whole thing about the history of the church is, is tied into the future of the church. 
because we're not just making patterns and going in circles. We're actually going somewhere. We started somewhere with the temple sacrifices and the Old Testament, and then Jesus came. And, and then even then, you know, we had some church history where, where you know, they, they slipped and they got away. And through things like the Reformation, they, they came back somewhat on track. And we're growing and we're moving as a church to a particular place that God is leading us. Amen. I believe God is leading us. And I believe God is leading this church. Amen. Amen. Praise God. The next week I preached on uh, their radical believing of the early Pentecostals. They would believe anything in the face of any kind of evidence to the contrary. They trusted the word of God. And that commitment to the word of God made them doers of the word of God. Amen. Being doers of the word produced men and women of action. And then finally last week, just as a point of review, um, they understood their authority. They understood something about authority. They really believed that Jesus was the king of this planet and that they were here to do business in his name. They spoke for him. They, could, they were authorized to, you know, one time uh, a ministry that I worked for was given a vehicle, okay? And it was a, a corporation. It was, uh, it was actually Church of God. So they had all their corporation things. And so somebody had to go down to the uh, DMV and speak for the corporation to get the title for the vehicle. So I got a letter written and it was a power of attorney that gave me the authority to go down there and represent the corporation in order to title the vehicle. See, you have been power, given power of attorney. That's what it means when it says speak in his name. I could go down there and in that, in that uh, government building, I could speak for that corporation with respect. Now, it was limited power of attorney. I had to do what they said. If I would start doing something, they, you know, hey, just transfer this to my name. You know, that wouldn't have went very well, right? When you stop speaking the will of the one who sent you, you no longer represent them. How, how, you get it, right? So when we speak in Jesus' name and we speak according to his will, we represent him and we have authority to do business in his name. And that's what they understood. Praise the Lord. So it was good. That's good. That's a good word right there. Amen. But today I want to bring, begin a new series, brand new series. I want to shift a little bit. I want to shift over to the book of John. Uh, John is a very, how to say it? When it, you know, we've, we've just read John recently, you know, as a church together. John is a wordy book. <laughs> wordy. That's a good, there's a lot of words. <laughs> it, it's a complicated, the themes are intertwined. You know, there's conversations. There's, it's a lot of it's dialogue driven. And there's, there are dialogues that between Jesus and somebody that go a whole chapter or longer which makes it a very difficult book to kind of, um, you know, preach out of because you, you pull out a verse and then you feel like you need to read the whole chapter, <laughs> you know, just to understand what John is saying, how you put it in this place. Um, kind of makes it difficult, you know, when you, when you study it, how are you going to approach it? I feel like the best way to approach a book like this is just to kind of take slices through it, you know, and see some different themes that are going on. Because it's, if you try to do it verse by verse, you're going to end up, I mean, years in the book of John. There are scholars who've studied, you know, who've, who've made their, you know, uh, uh, their primary focus, you know, John's theology. And so they study John for years. But um, in the book of John, you're going to find seven great I am statements. You know, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the gate for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. These are all in the book of John. I am the resurrection and the life. 
I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the true vine. And then he said before Abraham was, I am. And we know that that phrase, I am, was uh, an allusion to um, God saying, I am that I am, right? Who should I tell them is sending me? Tell them I am. So this is Jesus' claim to divinity. But all of these great I am statements are found in the book of John. There are also in the book of John seven instances that show Jesus' superiority over the old covenant. Basically, the book of John deals with him claiming all the symbolism in the old covenant for himself. So in the book of John, you're going to find that Jesus is greater than the angels. Jesus is greater than Abraham. Jesus is greater than Jacob. Jesus is greater than Moses. Jesus is greater than the law, the Sabbath, and the temple. But I don't want to spend the next two years in the book of John. So what we're going to do in this study is we're going to just go over, and for the next seven weeks, we're going to look at the seven miracles in the book of John. You know, Jesus did so many miracles, John said in the end of the book, that if we were to write them down, the whole world wouldn't be able to contain the books. And when you read the other Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you see miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle. It's really awesome. But you know, when you get to the book of John, you see seven miracles in the whole book. Seven miracles. It's interesting. And so the reason um, John picked seven miracles is because he's saying something through using, illustrating the miracles and placing them where he placed them. So we're just going to go through um, the book of John, and we're going to, on Sundays, we're going to look at the seven miracles in the book of John. You ready for it? Are you sure? All right, hold on. Fasten your seatbelts. It's going to get good. Today, first miracle, book of John. Anybody know what it is? Jesus turns the water into wine in John chapter 2. So what I want to do, because like I said, John is, I think the best way to do this, to approach it, let's read the the story together, and then I can refer back to it, okay? Because <laughs> otherwise, I'll be it'll be so intertwined, and I'll be I'll be uh, trying to jump back and back and forth. So let's read John two chapter one through eleven. If you have a Bible, you might want to open up to it because when it comes off the screens, then you'll be able to have the the uh, text in front of you. John chapter two and verse one. On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee. And the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. When their wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, and it wasn't as disrespectful back then as it sounds. <laughs> they say it was a term of endearment. Today, if you called your mother woman, <laughs> I don't think it would go very well. What does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. So evidently, Mary was very close to the family here because she's very much concerned. You see it in her concern. You also see it in the fact that she turns around and she, she tells the um, servants what to do. Because the next verse, she says, his mother says to the servants, do whatever he tells you to do. So she must have had some authority there. Either that or she was just one of those people who just knew what to do and took authority. And I know people like that as well. And they get it done, don't they? But... Um, What's interesting to me is this. Jesus said, what does this have to do with me? It's not my time. And then she turns around and says, do what he tells you to do. So Jesus' answer to her in her mind did not preclude him helping. It's interesting. You know, she's still looking for him to help. Now, at this point, Jesus didn't do a miracle yet. 
You know, I don't know if Mary was actually expecting a miracle or she was expecting him to take some guys downtown and go buy wine. I don't know. But he says, it's not my time yet. What's it have to do with me? But she says, do whatever he says. Verse six. Now there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim, all the way to the top. And he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. Not sure what they were thinking as they drew it out and were taking it, but they did what he said. When the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn out the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, everyone serves the good wine first. And when people have drunk it freely, then, uh, and when people have drunk it freely, then the poor wine, but you have kept the good wine until now. The wine was so good. The man actually went and got the bridegroom and interrupted him in the middle of the festivities just to tell him how good his wine was. <laughs> he said, you saved the best wine for now. And then verse 11, it says this, the first of his signs Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested, he showed, he revealed his glory. And then it says, and his disciples believed in him. Praise God. Let's just pray for a moment. Father God, I just thank you, Lord, for this story, this, this, this miracle that you did. Lord, I thank you for the, the fact that you had John record it in the way he did. Father God, we want to learn something of you from this instance. Father, I would pray that you would open our eyes to see, our ears to hear, and our hearts to understand, and minister to, this, to our hearts today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, the first thing that I see that's just obvious to me in this miracle is Jesus' willingness to help. You know, there's really no great need here. You know, if you think about it, they're, they're at a wedding feast. It's a party. It's extracurricular activity, you know. Nobody's about to die. Nobody's on a sickbed. You know, nobody's hanging off the edge of a cliff. They're in the middle of a party and they ran out of wine. I mean, we, I would rank that on the priority needs list fairly low. What about you? You know, at the end of the day, they run out of wine, people will go home and the hosts will be embarrassed. I mean, that's the worst that's going to happen, right? But Jesus was so willing to even help in that situation. You know, we went to India and in India, uh, you know, some of the best tea in the world is grown in India. For real, yeah, right where she's from. The tea fields in Assam. Uh, I mean, I went to, when I was dating her, I didn't know this, I was dating her, I went to Food City and I found some, a bottle of tea and I looked and it's like, it's from Assam. <laughs> it's from, I called her on the phone, I got tea from where you're from, <laughs> you know? Some of the best tea in the world comes from India and it's a custom there to serve your guests tea. Every time you go to somebody's house, they make you tea. And then every time somebody came to our house or her parents' house, when, when they came to see us, we served we serve them tea. And uh, usually we would serve it black, you know, or red if it was red tea without sugar, just, just plain. But when her aunt found out I like sweet tea, she would put sugar in it for me. So, <laughs> say, BJ, sweet tea, sweet tea. I was like, I love you. Thank you. <laughs> but, um, you know, the funny thing is, um, 
I got to the point where me, the most non-traditional person ever, started getting concerned if somebody came to the house and we weren't serving them tea right away. <laughs> like, where's the tea? Come on, boil the kettle, get the tea going. Come on, come on, we've got guests. You, you just, you, you don't realize, you know, um, see, see, they have this word there. This word would just make the hair stand up on the back of my neck. This word is compulsory. Compulsory. When Rin Kim first came to America, she would use that word. Oh, we have to do it. It's compulsory. And I'm like, says who? <laughs> who said, and there's nothing compulsory except obeying God. That's it. Because I'm like anti-tradition a lot of times, you know. There's no, it's not compulsory. So I go to India, I mean, and they're throwing this word around. When they're talking about the traditions, when uh, we shared how we went, and they did the thing where they prayed for our kids and stuff like that. And they're trying to work everything out. And they're like, oh, no, you have to do this. It's compulsory. And I'm, I'm biting my tongue. <laughs> the hair's up on my neck. And I'm like, says who? It's not compulsory. But anyway, you, you don't realize how ingrained these things get into you in a culture or in a tradition or even in your mind by being there for three weeks. You know, I was there for three weeks at that time. And I'm like, I'm like, oh, we got to make tea for people. Come on. We have guests. Let's go <laughs> bring out the little biscuits. They have they call those little cookies biscuits. They bring out the tea and the biscuits, you know. But so here they are. You know, they have this um, uh, uh, custom where they're, you know, they're providing the wine for the, the wedding ceremony. And yeah, it would be a, an embarrassment socially. But still, I mean, let's just be real. Like I said, nobody's dying here. You know what I mean? We're not raising the dead or healing the sick or cleansing the lepers or casting out demons. We're just making wine for the wedding feast to continue. And Jesus cared about it. He cares about those little things. You know, and... and I think it's interesting this, that uh, we're at this, he chose a wedding to do his first miracle. And isn't it interesting that he begins his supernatural ministry at a wedding feast? And, what, and the primary imagery of heaven, the new kingdom, is going to be us being at a wedding feast. <laughs> Isn't that good? See, it's alluding to something, something present, but it's looking to something in the future. And then also think about this. The act of making wine out of water in some ways was also a financial miracle. If you think about it, because the wine had value, right? Water was in abundance at the time, but at least at the moment, there was no wine. So I'll tell you that wine was very valuable at that moment for sure. And, and so... Um, and I, I could tell you it's a, you know, a financial miracle because if the government knew about it, they would tax it. So, you know, it had to do with finances. <laughs> I'm just saying that Jesus is willing to help us with our material needs. You know, I don't know if they, if the wedding went longer than they expected or more guests showed up or they just miscalculated, you know, but I'm assuming they went and they figured out how much wine they would need. But at some point they ran out. And so Mary says, hey, whatever he says to do. Go and do it. You know, and God can meet your needs without us always going through the bank, too, if you think about it, you know. They, they could have said, oh, Jesus, we need money to buy wine. But what they really needed was wine, right? Do you need, do you need money to pay your bills, or do you need Jesus to maybe make the bills go away? <laughs> hey, he, he's canceled bills. He's done that. He's given us forgiveness at times, worked things out where... Uh, uh, one time uh, we had to pay a lot of money when Abigail came f for medical bills, you know, and 
And it well, what a blessing when one of them just, I mean, I kept track of every bill that came in and, and matched it with our insurance and everything, you know, but we were still paying a lot out of pocket. What a blessing when I called that $800 bill and said, I need to settle that, I need to pay it. And they're like, oh, oh no, we've just written that off. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yes, you know what I mean? Praise God, he could have gave me the money, but instead he canceled the debt, amen? So he'll do that for you, you know what I mean? Do you need a car or a home or do you need money to buy a car or a home? I mean, let's give him the freedom to do it either way, right? How about this one? Do you need money to pay the doctors or you just need to be healed? <laughs> I'd rather have the healing if I can, right? I mean, to walk in that, say, hey, healthy living saves a lot of money, right? So, you know, do you need, do you need money for the wine or do you just need wine for the party, you know? <laughs> and he was willing to, to do a miracle right there at that moment. It shows his willingness to help, even in the small things. I remember, and I, I, man, I wish I remember who did this. I'm thinking it was somebody like Oswald Chambers, if you'd ever read his, his um, um, what do you call it, devotional. Yeah, I'm thinking that's where I read it, but I can't remember. But there was a story, and, and the woman asked him, the pastor, whoever it was, they said, you know, can I pray to God over small things? Can I ask him, you know, say, for, to help me with a parking lot? Or do I need to save those kind of prayers for big things like, you know, cancer, sickness, things like that? And the man looked at her and he says, dear woman, kind of like what Jesus said, dear woman. He said, dear woman, what makes you think cancer is big to God? None of it's big to him. You know, you're not bothering him with the parking lot any more than you're bothering him with cancer. He's willing to help. Amen. Just look at his heart. See, we've got to see the heart of God because the world does not show us the heart of God. You know, the world shows us, you know, historically in, in different cultures, you see, you know, the, look, think of the idols and stuff. We are in India again. Sorry to keep on bringing up India, but we were just there. So, but you know, the Hindu gods, they're ugly. You know, they're ugly and they got all these arms and they're weird looking, you know, and the, and the world gives us idols and ugly. Even think of in America, some of the totem poles and things and the natives, you know, how they worship. They're, they're not, they're not, they're not a beautiful, loving God. They're, they're, they're judgmental. They're ugly. They, they demand things of you. And then here comes Jesus. He's the only one who could show us what God is like. And he shows us somebody who's willing to help them just not be embarrassed socially at their wedding. So I think he'll help you with the parking lot. I really do. <laughs> Especially if you're late. <laughs> I think he'll help you. I don't think it, I don't think it's a big deal or too small for him. Neither is whatever you're going through. The whole spectrum. He wants to help us. Amen. That's good, isn't it? I like that. That's good. And then look at how much wine he made, right? It says there were six pots. They each held 20 to 30 gallons. So I started doing the math. If you average 25 gallons of each, you have 150 gallons of the best wine. I don't know. I don't, I don't know anything about drinking wine, but that seems like a lot of wine to me. I'm picturing three 55-gallon drums filled with wine. That's a lot. That's, that seems like it's a lot. That would be 3,845-ounce glasses of wine. I don't know how many people were at the wedding or how long they needed to go, but that seems like that's a little bit, you know, but he, we've got to get our minds wrapped around the economy of heaven, not the economy of earth. Okay. Cause the economy of heaven is abundance. The economy of earth is limitation and lack. See, you know, you've heard of the laws of supply and demand, right? It means, it means this, a thing is more valuable if 
either there's a larger demand for it or there's less supply for it, right? It's the, the supply curve, the supply and demand curve. So what they want to do is they want to keep demand up and supply low, and that artificially inflates the prices. Why do you think they quit pumping oil when they start getting a surplus? Because they want to keep the price high, right? When I was a kid growing up in the Midwest, the farmers at certain times would not plant certain fields so that they could keep the price of grain artificially high. Do you see that we create our own lack on this planet so that we can keep the rich getting richer and richer because we manipulate the supply curves? But what did Jesus say to his followers in Matthew 10, 7 and 8? Proclaim as you go, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. You received without paying, give without pay. In heaven is, what do you need? Here you go, and here's some extra. <laughs> here's wine for your party, and then here you can take this and live on it or sell it. You know, you understand that they drank wine as a part of the culture and the water, you know, the supply and all that, you know, we're not advocating drinking here just because we're talking about turning water into wine. But uh, you understand that it was a valuable commodity to them. And he says, here's some wine and here's some more, maybe more than you need. I like N.T. Wright's translation on that. Um, he says, it was all free when you got it. So make sure it's free when you give it. It's all free when you got it. Make sure it's free when you give it. You know, that's the thing. We've got to get that attitude. We have the attitude of the world in church a lot because we want to sell the gospel so many times. Look, I believe in raising money and supporting, you know, missionaries. I mean, how, how can you not think we believe in supporting missionaries when we do, right? But, you know, there are some ministries out there and it seems like all they're interested in is the dollar, you know, raising money. They're selling the gospel. They're using it as a means to gain financial you know, you, you, there's no promise or guarantee that you're going to you know, be the next Bill Gates or whoever just because you're preaching the gospel. But he does say, I'm going to meet your needs. And, and, you know, those of us who are ministering, we've got to trust God the same way you've got to trust God. But God's faithful. But we've got to never peddle the gospel for financial gain. We've got to, it was free when I got it. It's free when you got it. So when we give it to others, it's got to be free. Amen. In that God's heart, what a heart, what a heart. You can see that he, he didn't put limitations on this thing. He's not trying to make it scarce. I mean, come on. He's the one who says he prophesied in Habakkuk 2, 2, 4, I think. And the glory of God will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. I mean, go out there and, you know, I've not ever been in the middle of the ocean. I've been over the middle of the ocean, but we're, we're not lacking for seawater on this planet. <laughs> and he wants the glory of God the knowledge of the glory of God. Isn't that what it says? The knowledge of the glory. He wants us to know him. He wants that to cover the earth like the waters cover the sea. There's no lacking mindset in that picture, is there? It's a picture of abundance. You know, he's the one who, um, he'll give you enough fish that your nets can't hold them, right? Right, he'll, he'll, He'll take from you five loaves and two fish. He'll multiply it. He'll feed the multitude and then give you 12 baskets left. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? He meets your needs. Think of Psalm 23. It says, my cup overflows. My cup overflows. Okay, picture this. Or no, some of you guys are going to go out to eat after, after church and you're going to sit there and you're going to have your cup on the table and your waitress is going to come up and she's going to start pouring and your cup's going to get filled all the way to the top and then she's going to keep pouring. And it's going to start overflowing the cup and it's going to start running down the table. 
and she's going to just keep pouring. And it's going to come over the edge of the table. It's going to be running on the floor. She's going to keep, this is God. This is not a problem with him. He wants to overflow your cup. He wants to give you an abundance so that you have to give to others. He wants you to minister out of this overflow. He wants to fill your heart so full to overflowing that you have what you need and then you have enough to give to somebody else. You know, other people, they don't know how to connect to God, but you do. Leave that channel open. Don't shut it off. You know, um, you remember uh, the story when they were bringing the, um, was it Elijah and the woman and the oil? Remember when he, he, they said, bring all the vessels and fill up. This is when you get off your notes. You wish you would have looked it up first. But, uh, you know, and, the, and they brought the vessels. And as long as they had vessels, they kept, the oil kept coming. And then when the last vessel came, the oil stopped, you know? Keep the vessel under there. <laughs> keep it flowing. Give it to some, dump it. Dump it in somebody else's lap and keep it flowing. Live open. It was free when you got it. Make sure it's free when you give it. The heart of God and turning water into wine. Who'd have thought, right? (laughs) Is good. So we've got to get our mind around uh, heaven's economy. My cup overflows. You know, he uses gold to pave the streets. Come on, if we did that here, put gold in the parking lot people would think it was gaudy (laughs) they would say they would criticize us (laughs) we'd take a lot of flack for that so i don't think we'd do it but you know what they do that in heaven and it's just okay with god we need to get our mind out of this lacking limitation mentality and get into the limitlessness limitlessness of heaven god is able and he is willing for you and me to participate in heaven's economy He's able and he is willing to meet our needs, even material needs. Amen? Praise God. The second thing I see in this verse, which is very obvious, is the symbolism. Um, Again, John uses this this particular miracle to introduce Jesus' supernatural ministry to the readers. And so, you know, we're, a lot of us, we're, we're creatures of habit. I don't know about you. Some people are just so aggressive and they like to do new things. And if they do the same thing for more than three times, they're bored and they're looking for new things. Others, including me, I kind of like the same thing. I just get used to it. I have to work hard to keep myself from getting in a rut, you know. But all of us, you know, we're comfortable a lot of times with what's familiar, right? We're comfortable with the old. We don't always gravitate toward the new things. But the truth is we're all hoping for new things. In our hearts, we're all hoping for new things. You know, we want to preserve those traditions that we grew up with. Rin Kim and I talk about this a lot just because we've come from different backgrounds. You know, she grew up in a Christian home. I grew up in a Christian home. But being in India and me being in the Midwest, you know, we we have radically different traditions and stuff. So we talk about what we want to preserve, what we want to see our kids, what was the intention of those traditions. And, you know, we've had the opportunity to probably work through some of those things more than if we were two people from the exact same tradition, you know. Um, but, uh, you, you know, you get comfortable. You want those things that you had when you were a kid for your kid. You know, you, there's a, a sense that you want things to stay the same. Yet at the same time, we instinctively know that something is missing with life on this planet. There's something that's not complete. There's something that's not, not fulfilled yet. We're looking for something new. In Luke 5, 37 through 39, it says this, and it's talking about wine, so how fitting to fit with this, right? No one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the new wine will burst and the skins 
first the skins and it will be spilled and the skins will be destroyed, but new wine will be put into fresh wineskins. And, you know, we could talk about there about how Jesus makes us new creation so he can fill us with his spirit, right? You know, new, new vessel to hold what he's doing. But um, he says, no one after drinking the old wine desires the new because he says the old is good. The old is good. And, uh, you know, again, we can look at the, he's speaking to Jewish people there coming out of the old Judaism into reality, right? Into the truth of the gospel. Jesus is claiming all the Old Testament symbolism for himself at this point um, in the book of John, especially. But, you know, just think about even, even for us, you know, look at, look at, you know, the times that you remember church being so good and how you want it. And, and in your mind, you want to go back there, you know, but maybe God going to do something a little bit different in this time. You know, are we open to that? Are we okay with running with him? As long as the spirit of God is in it and we're seeing what it says in this book, I'm okay. I'm okay with it. You know, I'm willing, but you know, sometimes we just want to cling to those old, <laughs> cling to those old ways. And uh, Jesus says, I'm ready to do something new. <laughs> you know, his mercies are new every morning. Yeah. He's, he's very creative. I don't think he's you know, he created the world and he rested, right? But I don't think he quit being cre a creative being, you know? What do you need? I, you know, hey, what's the most creative way we can get wine here today? I don't know. Say, take those pots and put water in them, you know? He's creative, you know? Water just doesn't naturally, he didn't just speed up a process to make the water into wine. He created wine, starting with water, right? He used water, but he created the wine because he's creative and he continues to be creative today. So with Jesus's first miracle in the book of John, John introduces him, we're introduced to, to um, Jesus and we're introduced to the fact that Jesus comes with new and better things. Because with Jesus, the new wine is better than the old. That's why the, the master of the ceremonies was so impressed with and interrupted the bridegroom. You saved the best. This is better than what you started with, the new wine. The new thing, what God is doing presently is always better. Amen? Wow. So the stone pots, they're sitting there and they're used for ceremonial purification for the Jews. They're part of the Jewish law. And you know, God gave them commandments and you can read about it in the Old Testament, but you know, a lot of what the Jews were doing, they developed themselves and they passed it on themselves. And it was not endorsed by God and it was not endorsed by Jesus. That's why they were ready to stone him you know, whenever the disciples ate without washing their hands in the right way, or whenever they picked grain in the field and ate it on, on the Sabbath day. They, were, they, they had a lot of traditions that Jesus was not violating God's law, but he was violating their traditions. And those traditions, I'll tell you what, boy, oh boy, you don't violate traditions around some people, do you, in Kim? <laughs> traditions run deep, they really do. But uh, Jesus is bringing a fulfillment. So here, here are these stone pots, they're part of the Jewish law. <clears throat> And they would be filled with water and then they would use the water to pour it over their hands to make them ceremonial clean. So these pots, they represent the law, the old covenant, the, the traditions of the Jews and the Jewish customs, the old way of doing things. But then Jesus comes and look, he takes those same pots and he repurposes them. You know, the vessel, when, it, when, the, when the water turned into wine, it didn't change on the outside. It was still a stone pot but now it's given a new purpose. Think about that. See, the purpose that the, that the pot had was determined by what was in it, right? When it was water and it was a pure, now it's wine. <laughs> it's got a new purpose now. 
It's given a new value. Right? Wow. It's valuable now. Well, I mean, it was valued as a thing, but now it's something different. It's holding a commodity that has, has uh, real value. Water was abundant, like I said, but now the wine, which they didn't have any, <laughs> was, was the, this was a container for this thing. And so when Jesus saved you, you know, he didn't change your outside. He gave you a new heart, right? Your body was repurposed. <laughs> You'd been given a new purpose. The purpose is determined by what you carry on the inside. You've been given a new value. You're still the same earthly vessel, but you are a carrier of the presence of God. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And uh, I maybe have given you guys on the computer uh, verse 8, but I'm going to start at verse 7. It says, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Okay, we have this treasure in jars of clay. This body is a jar of clay to show that the surpassing power that you carry, you carry it right now. If you have God, you carry this surpassing power in your jar of clay. Isn't that awesome? And then it goes on. We are afflicted in every way. See, just having that power doesn't mean everything's easy squeezy, does it? <laughs> we are afflicted in every way, but we're not crushed. We're perplexed, but we're not driven to despair. We're persecuted, but we're not forsaken. We're struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that what? The life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. Where does that life come from? That's that life that you carry in your clay pot, in your clay pot. The new is always better. The new wine, the new covenant, new creation, new life and new purpose. It's time to leave the old and come fully into the new, amen? amen. Do you know what God's attitude is towards the old? God's attitude, you know, you know the verse in 2 Corinthians, therefore if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation, the old has passed away. Let it go. Let it go. Let it go. You know, we're trying to keep alive. We've got on life support. We're trying to resuscitate what God is saying. Just let it go. <laughs> let it go. The old is gone. It's passed away. It's old thing. I'm not doing anything with that anymore. Let it die. Come into the new. I've got new and better promises. I've got new, better things for you. And we're hanging on to the old. And it's keeping so many from coming into the truth. We've got to let it die. You know, you'll discover yourself, your true self, when you discover God's purpose for your life, right? Yes. We don't want to keep on holding on to what needs to die. Let it go. Come on into life. Amen. <laughs> and the third thing I want to bring out that I see in this, this uh, miracle is this. Don't grow weary in doing the right thing. Don't grow weary. Okay, again, this is encouragement. This is for us here today. I really believe that because I know, you know, just I know talking to different people and just experiencing what we felt, you know, I know that there's been some, some, let me just say this, opposition to what God's wanting to do in your life. There's been some opposition to overcome, okay? I'm not trying to say, oh, I'm going through a trial. No, there's just been some opposition. Well, you would expect opposition if you're doing anything for God because the world's not working for you. It's working against you. 
The devil's not working for you. He's working against you. Opposition doesn't mean you're missing it. Okay. So sensing some opposition, I just want to encourage you, don't grow weary in doing, doing right. Listen, Mary told the servants, do whatever he says, right? So this is the first step to experiencing the power of God working in your life. Obedience. Wow. Obedience to what he said. It's even better than faith because really obedience is an expression of faith, right? right? Obedience is a manifestation that you believe right? If you're obeying, it's obvious that you believe. So obedience is an expression of faith. And so miracles start with obeying him. And listen, obeying him, like I preached the other week, it often starts with in the natural, in the sense that you do what you can do. And then God does the rest, right? So he didn't tell them to do something supernatural. He told them to fill these jars with water. And so they went and carried and filled jars with water. It's kind of like what he said to Moses. Do you remember when Moses was saying, I don't, how are they going to He's sending them to, the, to Pharaoh and he's like, how are they going to believe I'm speaking for you? And he says, what's in your hand? And he says, uh, the Lord said to him, what's that in your hand? And he said, a staff. And so he took that staff and that became the thing that turned into the serpent and all that, you know, because what? He had it in his hand. What's in your hand that God's given you right now? Yeah. I like how Bill Wilson says, he said, hit the devil with whatever stick you've got. <laughs> what's in your hand? Use it. It's a weapon. And then when God supernaturally energizes it, come on, a stone and a sling. I mean, okay, I know that was a, I know that was a weapon of war. I really do. But come on, the giant should have saw it coming. One opponent, you know, he's short. He's running out there yelling and mouthing off. He should have saw that coming, right? That was supernatural energized by God. And why, you know, why did, why did David not take Saul's armor? You, you know, we're thinking we need something more. And God, God says, what's in your hand is what I'm going to use to defeat the enemy in your life. Just put it to work. Put to work what you've got right now today. Yes. And that goes for you. That goes for me. That goes for this church. Yes. We're sitting here right now. We've got the opportunities in front of us. We've got a lot of, a lot of good things. You know, we've got a paid for building and all this stuff. You know, let's put it to work. Amen. Yes. Let's put it to work for the kingdom and let God fill it up. Yes. Praise God. So, you know, do you need money? Do you have a dollar? Put it to work. See what God will do. You know, do you need healing or supernatural help from God for something? You know, do you have, do you have lips? Do you have a Bible? Can you thank him for what he's done for you in the past and thank him for what he says he's going to do? Put to work what you've got and let God come in the middle of it. Amen. Do you need him to save you? He doesn't ask for the impossible. You know, what's he say? All who call on my name. Where's that? Acts 2, 2, Acts 2.21. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. You don't save yourself. He saves you. You call, he saves. So he's asking you to do what you can do. Start with what you can do. Do it in faith, believing that it'll become what it needs to become. Isn't that good? So what's in your hand, Moses? My staff. We'll go use it. Go use it. I'll take that ordinary staff you've been carrying around herding sheep with and I'll repurpose it and it'll become the tool that convinces Pharaoh that I've sent you. Yes. So don't grow weary in doing the right things. Listen, 150 gallons it took to fill those, th those six pots. 150 gallons. Okay, you know those little scrub buckets you have? You know, those are about two, two and a half gallons, right? So imagine you're carrying... You know, two, two gallons, so four gallons, okay? It would take you 37 trips to the well. You ever think of that? 37 trips to the well to fill that up. I mean, even if you had 10 people, it's still, you know, three or four trips each, you know, to get those things filled, and they filled them to the top. They were diligent to do what he said. It had to take a few minutes, 
you know, I don't know what kind of well, I don't know if they went to a river and just dipped them or if they had to pump it up or, or draw it up with a bucket. I mean, it could have taken some time is what I'm trying to say. And they could have got bored after they got, I mean, why are we filling these buckets? We need wine, water, and we don't have any more people coming. Everybody's already been washed, you know. I don't need this. What we need is wine. But they obeyed him and they did it until they were filled to the brim. You know, it might seem like a drudgery, but it'll lead to the power of God. Yes. Taking you to things that you could never experience on your own or in the natural. And you know what? Think about the wedding. The, the head, head waiter and the bridegroom, they didn't know, it says, where the wine came from. Right? The servants knew where it came from. Nobody else knew. There's a good chance that everybody in that wedding was drinking the new wine and had no idea where it came from. I just want to tell you, your obedience to God, no, maybe nobody will ever appreciate the sacrifice of your commitment to God. <laughs> maybe they'll never appreciate, you know, how hard you've worked or how you've obeyed or how long it's been or how long you've been faithful, but they'll sure enjoy the, enjoy the fruit of it. Yeah. Yeah. Don't worry about it. Be faithful. Yeah. Keep doing the right thing. Yeah. Keep going. Let the people enjoy the fruit of it because heaven keeps good records. Yeah. We're not working for the praise of man, are we? No. We're working for the praise of God. So keep going, keep going, keep going. Galatians 6, verse 9. Let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Keep doing the right thing. Keep pressing on. Keep doing good. We're going to reap something. Amen? I believe it. So then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially the, to those who are the household of faith. So this is not limited to our brothers and sisters in Christ. Amen? To everyone, and especially to our brothers and sisters in Christ. Praise God. And finally, in closing, I want to bring this point out. Jesus said it wasn't my time. I'm not 100% sure what he meant by that, but in the book of John, you can see that he was very aware that he had a time, an appointment with with the cross, with destiny. He had something to do that was coming at a time, right? But at this point, he says, it's not my time, yet they still pressed on him for a miracle. And then this pressure to meet the need at the, at the wedding banquet actually launched his supernatural ministry. That's where his ministry began. I'm going to tell you, you might not feel like you're ready. See, Jesus did not do another miracle before this miracle. This was his first. What's going to be your first? Or second or third, if you're already walking in it. But at some point, we've got to start. Amen? We've got to start. Maybe you feel like it's not your time, but I'm telling you, go anyway. <laughs> go anyway. It's interesting that this is what launched him into the public ministry turning the water into the wine, and his disciples believed on him. So if people are situations, if there's a need pulling on you, oh, just get on your face before God, believe God, and go meet that need in Jesus' name. Take what's in your hand, step there, and watch God use you. Amen? People will glorify God because of what you've done. Isn't that good? Now, I want to go back just in closing to this verse in 2 Corinthians 4, 8, and 10. I want to read it. And as Tom, if you guys, if the band would come up and get ready to, to play. Um, it says, we have this treasure in jars of clay. And I expounded on it already. 
what you're carrying. This is what Jesus has deposited in you. You know, when you walk with him and you live with him, you know, you, you get used to it. Sometimes we're so aware of it. And sometimes, sometimes you just get used to it because life happens and you get dull. Your senses get dull. But I'm telling you, God looks at you and he says, you're carrying this surpassing power, this glory of the Holy Spirit, the anointing, if you will, in your earthen vessel. And you're what I have to work with on the earth. You're it. You're carrying this now. And then he goes on and he talks about the difficulties. I'm actually, you know, I'm actually glad that he talks about the difficulties there because he's saying that the difficulties are what's helping me bring this glory that's deposited in me out so people can see it. Isn't that interesting? He, said, he ends the verse, always car carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our bodies. See, that's so that... It's a little bothering if you don't know what it means to carry around the death of Jesus. But the, the persecution that, that they gave to Jesus, the pressure, the, the, what, what he lists here, being afflicted and, uh, but not crushed, perplexed, persecuted, struck down, right? But what? But not forsaken, not destroyed, uh, not crushed, not in despair. Can you really walk with that kind of pressure on your life and not be in despair? If you have the life of God on the inside of you, you can. Because when they poke at you and they push you and you feel the pressure and you feel the crushing, what comes out of the inside of you but the life of God? In fact, that's one of the best ways to find out what's on the inside of you. What did Paul say? I rejoice in my weaknesses because when I'm weak, then I'm strong because I'm strong in him. Because it's not you doing it. See, this is not for the strong. This is for the surrendered. That was good. <laughs> it's for the surrendered. Praise God. So, you know, what? I, I want to do this. You know, well, let me say this first. You know, the, it's like, the, it's like the, um, uh, the toothpaste, you know. You go get toothpaste and it says Crest or Colgate on there, right? You get the box and you open it up. It says Crest. But how do you really know what's in that tube? You got to squeeze it. And when you squeeze it, what's on the inside comes out. So what's happening here. You're filled with the life of God. The world, the pressure, the attack is wanting to squeeze you. Let the life of God come out. Let what's on the inside of you come out and meet the need and meet the challenge. You've got it. You've, if you've got God, you've already got it. So I asked them to sing. You guys got that one song? That, that song about um, graves into gardens. I thought that was so fitting because, you know, they should put a line in there. You turn water to wine. <laughs> anyway, uh, but I just asked them to sing that song. And as we sing, um, Reen Kim, I want you to come up and just be available up here. Um, just let's take a time of prayer, a time of just commitment to God. Um, and, and if there's any special needs in here, of course, Reen Kim, Reen Kim and I always would love to pray for whatever need that you might have just to come into agreement with you. And um, let's just uh, take these moments and realize what God is wanting to do and willing to do through you and through me. Amen? Amen. Amen. Praise God.